0: Ho, 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 hello and welcome to Bah Humbug, the Christmas movies podcast that thinks you get a lovely warm glow when you set burglars' heads alight with a blowtorch. I'm your host, Helen O'Hara, and today I'm going to be looking at a double whammy of Christmas siege movies, Home Alone and Home Sweet Home Alone. Yes, the Chris Columbus, John Hughes classic and the recent Dan Mazur reboot quill form the basis of today's discussion – Now, as you surely already know, both see a child left behind accidentally at Christmas when his family dashes off on holiday. Then he's forced to defend himself and his home against intruders. The difference is that in the original, Macaulay Culkin's Kevin is defending his home against the thoroughly rotten Harry and Marv, who are played by Joe Pesci and Daniel Stern. In this new film, Archie Yates' Max is defending himself against the super likeable and relatively pure of heart Jeff and Pam, played by Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper. They, in a whole misunderstanding of things, believe that Max has stolen a valuable doll belonging to them and are just trying to get it back. So, you know, not quite such clear-cut villainy. Anyway, you may be able to guess my views on which one is better, but you're not going to catch me here monologuing all day. So instead, with me to discuss it are Ali Plum, who's Radio 1's film critic and creator and host of the BBC's Movies That Made Me series, which I highly recommend, and Chris Hewitt, Empire's associate editor, open brackets, review, close brackets, and host, of course, of the Empire podcast, which if you haven't listened to yet, I cannot recommend highly enough and not just because I'm on it. Now, please enjoy as we abandon all pretense at structure or logic or reason and just dive straight into arguing about both these films. And do please be warned that in the event that you haven't seen them, spoilers do abound. So, hello, Chris and Ali. Chris told me he wanted to be introduced to Ali, yes! who he worked with for many years. So I'm
1: here so you go, excited. Chris, meet Ali. Ali, meet Chris. Hello. Hello, Ali. I'm Chris. Uh, how are you? No, I haven't seen Ali in ages. And so, uh, you know, because there's a pandemic and things. And so we don't, we don't tend to go to the same screenings um, because I'm not going to screenings that much. Uh, so it's just, it's great to see Ali. It's great to, uh, to try and smell him through the screen. And he's eating, or he was eating a Jaffa Jonut And um, so I, want to just live vicariously through him
2: it tastes delicious highly recommended so good i just want to point out behind chris is a beautiful portrait of colombo i mean he would have worked out the wet bandits like that
0: oh yeah not
2: a problem not not that they hide it what with the taps but lord (laughs) there would have been no problems just before i go there you are red-handed easy done
1: yeah there's a, there's a lot of crime in this movie, and Columbo would have been absolutely on top of it. Uh, for example, at the end of the movie, I, I, know, are we, I don't know if we're getting into it too early. I mean, sure,
0: let's just start. Like, Don't worry but, about me. Yeah. No, no, bad. but
1: I, I, this isn't <laughs> the starting. I'm just going to point out. But at the end of the movie, the wet bandits are apprehended. And mm. Kevin is off the hook in terms of his, because the house gets tidied and everything gets fine. You know, everything's fine. Everything's squared away neatly. And the old man, presumably, is the one he calls the, the cops. And, you know, the, the Kevin's association with the wet bandits, it doesn't seem to be known to the cops. But Columbo would have cracked that in a heartbeat. I'm not sure. I'm not saying Kevin deserves to go to jail for what he did to those poor men. But, you know,
0: Columbo well, would have nailed him. Yeah, that's interesting because I I actually did do a thing a few years ago. We are getting just started in the middle. So, you know, hi, everybody. We're talking about Home Alone and Home Sweet Home Alone. (laughs) Uh, I did a thing a few years ago where I talked to criminal lawyers and sort of insurance people and social workers and a doctor about the real outcome of Home Alone, the original Home Alone. And suffice it to say that Marvin... And Harry would be dead several times over, Marvin. several several times. I mean, you may not have realized that, but but dropping a hot iron directly on someone's yeah. face is is actually not something that they would shrug off.
1: That's a fractured skull.
0: That's a fractured skull right there. If you're right lucky, there. you know. Yeah, yeah. and um, there's,
1: there's numerous things, but there'd be there'd be lacerations. Yeah, there'd be all kinds of of things. I'm saying I'm saying the Marv scalping. or Marvin as you call him because apparently Sorry, you're not yes. that well acquainted with him. <laughs> uh, Marv, I'm saying he's dead. He's fully dead. Harry, Harry, I think, just has life-altering injuries, but but Marv is dead.
2: In two, you see their skeleton. Like, you actively (laughs) see a human skeleton, electrified. That's dead. That's after four or five bricks to the head. That's dead. It reminds me of that weird news story that came out a couple of days ago, maybe it was a week ago, where scientists, heavy inverted commas, people who were asked were positing the idea that a glove slash gauntlet that big might not be possible to click in the way Mm. that Thanos does with the Infinity Gauntlet. To which I said, I'm starting to think that this whole Avengers saga might not be based in reality. No, they wouldn't be alive by, you know, (laughs) minute three of the ice slipping debacle the hand being melted off and the M being imprinted into the palm. It's like it's for kids, folks. <laughs> and also in Home Sweet Home Alone, like Rob Delaney gets a pool ball to the head
1: at, at some velocity. I mean, that, that's thats a concussion at least, but I'm saying that's also some some lasting brain damage.
0: Which, in fairness, the, the, the film does kind of allude to him having... Um, so, <laughs> True. so you know that's something. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's these are essentially Looney Tunes cartoons brought to life, aren't they?
1: Except that the first Home Alone, and I'm sure we'll get into it in a second, in terms of my relationship <laughs> to the first Home Alone. The first Home Alone absolutely isn't until it is, and it's this sweet-ish, heartwarming-ish tale of parental neglect until the last 10, 15 minutes when it becomes a Looney Tunes cartoon. There is no clue whatsoever in the previous 90 minutes that this film is going to take this turn. And then all of a sudden you have people being bonked on the head and walking it off.
0: Well, there's the fake party. The
1: fake? is, is the, Does anyone receive like a major blow to the no, head but, in that? You know, is there... But
0: it's it's similarly kind of that logic of, you know, it's, it's almost painting a tunnel on the side of a cliff, that party. You know, it's like he's suddenly manufactured a train track to carry the Michael Jordan cutout around the room to make all of the things dance, right. you know, It's it, there's yeah. a sort of a Looney tunes maybe to that.
2: And I mean. you've got Chekhov's Pop Gun. Uh, you've got... <laughs> you do. Chekhov's You've got little bits and pieces. <laughs> I, I do <laughs> sort of agree with you. Like, but you this is a movie where you've seen the trailer, right? Like, you know what this movie is. You know the third yeah. act is going to be all that. I think when you rewatch it now, I think you're absolutely bang on in a way, right? The first hour contains no caperage. It's actually annoying child like irritating youngest (laughs) child who is ignored rightly for being very annoying in an incredibly entitled world. I mean, my biggest problem as a kid with this movie is who lives in a house like that? Not just Mm. in a Lloyd Grossman way, but Mm. literally who lives in a house in commas again. That's a mansion. That is a palace. Watching this as a child made me think America isn't so much heaven as just a money farm. What? There are like 18 bedrooms. He gets told off by being put in the attic and the attic is bigger than my flat. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying here? Like, it must be so annoying not getting the cheese pizza you ordered.
1: Yeah, suck it up, kiddo.
2: The idea of me specifically being able to order a pizza I'd like, let alone getting pizza delivery to my house, is mind-bending. I think there's another bit as a kid where you see him go up to speak to Santa. And there's Macaulay Culkin doing his thing. Mm. You have the elf and the Santa and the whole car gag thing. And I remember going, is that what a grotto looks like in America? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I want to go to there. That is it. And I know this is a movie. I'm fully aware of that. But it is actually based in a sort of John Hughes-averse Chicago perfection where this isn't that far away from real lives in America. And I just thought, what is he complaining about? What? Yeah. But then you just go, actually, the old man stuff kicks in. And I'm like, oh, this is getting me really, really bang on Yeah. in the heart. Yeah. It's the
1: opening shot in the movie is the house, isn't it? Mm. Which is basically going opulence, extravagance, lavishness. You want this. You don't have this. I, I've never had this. I've never had a house like that. I've barely had a house with a room, let alone 18. And so to have to see that immediately in the first, the first shot of the film, that is John Hughes to the nth degree, uh, as in the bad version of John Hughes. And there are good versions of John Hughes, obviously. The man was was a genius on many, many levels but if you look at a lot of his protagonists it is they are money they are the upper middle classes in the states you know they are Ferris Bueller who's the the whining rich kid there's you know obviously mm-hmm. Neil in Plain and automobiles who is this well to do very very well off very insulated guy who is very very rich uh, has many many credit cards all that sort of stuff and then there's there's Peter McAllister in this movie Kevin's dad who I am convinced is up to his eyeballs in organised crime. He lives in Chicago. Oh. He owns a house that doesn't seem to have any correlation whatsoever to his lifestyle. I think we're told he's a lawyer. He's clearly a mob lawyer. What are, <laughs> What's the first thing he says to Joe Pesci when Joe Pesci turns up at the house, disguised as a cop, and is basically going, oh, hey, you know, I'm just checking the security of the houses. First thing John Heard says to Joe Pesci in this movie is, am I under arrest? So he is someone who thinks that he is close to the edge. He is, is he clearly though? up to his eyeballs in crime. This is why he doesn't give a shit when he realizes Kevin's gone. Yeah, he comes home at the end and stuff, but genuinely he's detached from it because he is a man who's living in borrowed time, and he just wants to go to Paris to have a good time before the long arm of the law catches up with wow. him for real.
0: And yet he's around a year later. So you know. He's, he's well,
1: you know, Helen, you you used to be a barista, so you know how these things work. The law takes a long time. <laughs>
0: Uh-huh. I think he's an
1: informant.
2: I think if we follow, <laughs> if we follow Chris's thought, he is a mob lawyer. Never follow Chris's thought. But he's thought. actually he's playing both sides, so he can't yes. really trust anybody. But he's on edge at all times. Yes. But look, I, I do want to say up top, this movie is very special, and it's not just because of the music, and it's not just because of the incredible charm of our lead actor. It, the concept in of itself is one of those. Script writing miracles where when you watch it as an adult, you see all the hoops they have to jump through. It's an extraordinary number of things they have to tick off to make the premise work. Aim of the game, entitled child, youngest kid ignored. He needs to learn that his wish, I don't want to see my family anymore. They're really irritating. I don't love them. Just let me be by myself. Is actually a false wish. And in order to teach him this lesson, they have to construct this extraordinary you know, this is like a dressage thing. It's a crazy number of different things they have to go through just to make this work. The chatty kid by the van, the electricity going off and the telephone lines. Yeah. Yeah. The number of kids in the house, them getting on the plane, the parents being in first class, the kids being in the back. The worst. Like all of this stuff, actually you go as an adult rewatching it. Oh, this must've been a real, what have I started writing here? How am I going to make this work? (laughs) But it does work. I know there are a couple of creaky moments, but it does work. And I think ultimately it's one of those lightning in a bottle concepts, a bit like Die Hard actually, dare I say, where you can try to replicate it. But every time you try to, you've already got enough stuff to assemble to make the concept work. They then go, I'm going to do it again. It's We are on our fifth, is it sixth, Home Alone movie?
1: Hard to yeah. tell at this point.
0: I, yeah, it, I I tried, I really tried to do my due diligence and watch three and four ahead of this discussion. And I could not, I literally could not get through the opening scenes of, I think I tried three. It was so Die Hard 2 light nice. And I like Die Hard 2. I am a fan, but I could not, I, I absolutely couldn't handle it. So uh, I think I've watched it way in the distant past, but no, okay. I did watch Home Alone 2. I have some thoughts on that, but yeah. Um, but yeah no some of the, some of those uh, sequels are dreadful i mean we we should l- quickly at least bring in home sweet home alone which is you know the hook for for talking about all this because i think that's that kind of does away with most of the thorny questions that home alone 2 has to deal with which is how does this happen to the same guy twice <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> that by by essentially doing a remake but having a nod to the fact that the original exists but it's and we've discussed this, Chris, on the Empire podcast already, so people, some people might there may know what I'm going to say here, but they've made the burglars way too likable. There is mm. nothing to cheer in mm. a sympathetic person who's on their uppers getting their shoes set on fire. Yeah. That's bad. That's a terrible thing to happen.
1: This is, this is where I... Uh... I have I have controversial opinions about, about Home Alone, uh, which which may be aired during the uh, during this podcast. I have controversial opinions about Home Sweet Home Alone, and one of the things about Home Sweet Home Alone is that it leans into, as Ali said, the entitled child, the obnoxious child. I think they, I don't know whether they realized in the edit because there's an awful lot clearly that was filmed for Home Sweet Home Alone that didn't make the finished cut. You have really talented comedic actors who aren't given a button in that movie. Andy Daly, one of the best supervisors in the world, has like two lines. They, they don't even get the Jim fit. Rash
2: with the bells, right?
1: That was funny. I liked I liked Jim Rash. But yeah, you need more Jim <laughs> Rash. You need more really, really funny people. It litters the movie with really talented comedic performers then doesn't really let them do their thing. But for, for example, it doesn't have the moment, right? Which is the moment when the parent realizes that they've left their kid at home. That in Homesuit Home Alone is played off screen, which is, I think, an indication that something went wrong in the editing of this movie. But I also think that in editing, they maybe realized that the kid in Suit Home Alone is even more obnoxious than Kevin McAllister. And so they downplay him and they shift the focus onto Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper. Who are much more likable and I would much rather spend the time with them. And that's why I was I was actually thoroughly charmed by the first hour of that movie until they start getting hit in the face and hit in the ghoulies and hit and hit everywhere. And then I I, I switched off. because, as you say, Helen, you don't want to see these people who are in the right.
0: <laughs> well, that's, to, that's, an to, to an extent. To an extent.
1: I mean they're they're homebreakers, I guess. Yeah, okay, but you know, men's right, and all perfect. That. nobody's perfect and having pain inflicted upon them and um for me that's a really interesting twist on things And it's, it's one of the reasons why i think yeah. i kind of don't mind home sweet home alone
2: there's a perspective switch right because it's the young child who steals steals actively steals a very expensive uh, dolly let's call it a dolly and then keeps it to himself Like, that's, that you know, it's everything happens to our hero in Home Alone. It happens to him. Like, he's not an active, propulsive, I'm going to purposely lock myself away and not spend time with my family. It's Mm. circumstance. But this is an odd situation where in Home Sweet Home Alone, he does a bad thing.
0: Well, he hasn't, technically. They think he has.
1: Again, I wonder if that was something that was changed in post.
2: I I would also say that that movie, this, like, Home Alone 6, if we call it Home Alone 6, (laughs) <laughs> is also novel insofar as that it really is visually obviously affected by the pandemic. Like, this is a film that really got shut down, like, was it a month, three weeks into production in March 2020? And then tried to go back and then tried to go back again. And it was like grabbing people from wherever they could, however they could. And you talk about the editing seeming a bit jolty. I found myself watching it going, oh, guys, you had a, you had a rough one with this one, didn't you? Mm. Least of all, at having to be cold. You can't shoot this one whenever you like, however you like. Um, Anyway, well, it's something to well, bear in mind. I mean, it doesn't really diminish or in- increase your enjoyment of the movie, yeah. but I think it's worth lagging up. That's a very good point.
0: The thing is that the original, though, you know, was... You could have done that in a pandemic. Most of that film could have been shot in a pandemic. There's a couple of scenes of crowds, obviously in the airport, Um, and I guess there's a choir singing, which, you know, pandemic problem you know wouldn't happen but otherwise it's mostly a kid in a house so you could kind of manage that and a lot of this when you could kind of manage maybe there were great you know outdoor scenes that were are kind of losing eye on yeah but you're right i mean the the shutdown and the timetabling i'm sure was a was a major factor but i i think a bigger factor is just it it misses the point of what works for home alone so what works for home alone in my opinion is the fact that it is a sort of empowerment story for a kid that is mm-hmm. why Home Alone hit as huge as it did with an entire generation, Ali's generation, basically. I think, where they saw this and were like, "Oh my goodness! Imagine if I were Home Alone. What would I do? I could also eat all of the ice cream and watch all of the films and play with all of the Lego and then defend my home from burglars. Like it's a it's a kid yep. power fantasy." And I don't think Home Sweet Home Alone does that. I'm
2: eating. I'm watching junk and eating. Rubbish. Yeah,
0: come get it's me. <laughs>
2: I, I absolutely love that bit. You're you're bang on. It is it is a it's a dream come to life, like but also a nightmare. It, it's it's yep. almost Christmas Caroly. It's that mm. sort of the ghost of home empty. Doesn't work. But <laughs> it is that. And I remember even as a as a young and going, Oh, this this second act I wasn't aware of the concept of a second act. I bet
1: you did. I bet you that's, <laughs> that's what you said. Oh but you know
2: me. I woke up going, En Rez. that's how I was born. Um I was child ex machina. Anyway, so in, the, in that second act is actually quite dull for a child. We're watching, and I'm just going to be totally clear here: a child doing the washing. He's going to the <laughs> shops. He even goes to church. Like this is very dull. But that's the John Hughesiness of it: is that you find yourself going, but I really care. This, I am being entertained by a by a boy putting was it Tide into a yeah. washing machine. I mean,
1: in- ineptly. But you know he gets the job done.
2: Oh yeah, let let's put him in his place, Chris.
0: <laughs> oh,
1: I believe me, I intend to put Kevin McAllister in his place uh, quite firmly. But it, it, it's interesting that you mentioned there, Ali, the um, the Christmas Caroliness of it, because watching it again last night, which I did because I'm diligent. Uh, so diligent. I, so diligent. I didn't revisit *Home Sweet Home Alone*. I didn't. I, I did not understand the assignment. And <laughs> there's that moment where the, as you say. Kevin kind of wishes for his family to go away and then the storm comes up and the electricity cuts out and the phone's cut out and there's a moment, and the film never returns to it, but there's a moment where you're kind of going, is Hughes, because let's be honest, you know, Chris Columbus directed it, but Hughes is the author of this movie in many ways. Is Hughes suggesting that there's some supernatural shenanigans going on here, that you know that Kevin's wish is being heard? Because the music would seem to suggest... Yes. What do you think?
0: I think that's not quite what's happened. I think I think you, it's open to that interpretation, but I don't think it's meant to be magical. Like you know, some Christmas movies have the mysterious figure who may or may not be Santa Claus in disguise or an angel in disguise or something wandering around in a sort of preacher's wife kind of style or bishop's wife. This doesn't, I think, do that. I thought there were moments of it in the second one, actually. I thought the toy store owner had had elements of that. But again, it's it's more grounded than those films. It doesn't quite have that deus ex machina. Okay.
2: I, think. I will say, in defence of Chris Columbus, I mean, part of the reason why he directed this is because he was assigned the job of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, spent, was it two days with Chevy? Maybe did some second AD work and then went, I'm out of here, and was parachuted into this. Worked out fine, I'd say. But I do think the way you get into the mind of being that age, no other movie does it quite as well as Home Alone 1. That fear of the cellar, the fear of the furnace really takes me back. Being whispered in your ear by a bigger brother, by a bully, this horrible myth, this legend of the killer next door, that is that really takes me back to being that age. And I think that's one of the many magic tricks this film is able to pull off is it makes you feel eight years old again. You know, the idea of wanting to pretend to be a parent, underarm, deodorant, you know, brute on your face, there was something there. And I think that's some of the moments when I like the movie most is when you really feel it from that eight-year-old's perspective. And I think that's well worth saluting.
0: I think there's also a bit more vulnerability for Kevin than there is for Max. Max, very rarely in this movie, in Home Sweet Home Alone, seems vulnerable in the same way. Kevin yeah. is is les incompetents. You know, he he <laughs> cannot do things for himself. He is scared of everything. And so there is some kind of arc here where he does learn to overcome some of his fears, where he does learn to stand up for himself. Yes, to a degree that is sociopathic and extremely violent, but nevertheless, he's standing sure. up for himself. And I think that that is... That's notably absent for me in in Home Sweet, Home Alone. And I think it's one of the things that makes it far less resonant for kids probably sitting down and watching that today compared to the original.
2: What's interesting is that Kevin isn't shy. He's actually a very good talker. Mm. He can think quickly and speak quickly. And yet he's also positioned as a fearful child. And I think that's a sort of, dare I go back to it, American entitlement, where you exhibit your fear and your shyness with Whipcrack awfulness to your siblings and parents. Like the things he says to his parents are abhorrent, particularly early on. And I just, that wasn't something I saw at home. Shy people were shy, like, or rather fearful people were shy. And he's fearful, but like belligerent. <laughs> anyway, I'm overanalyzing what it is to be an eight-year-old I mean, boy. He's but, whatever um, the film needs him to be, which yeah, is well. That's also true. That's yeah. also true. I'm overanalyzing it in the extreme, and that's <laughs> what the podcast is
0: for. I, I yeah. actually <laughs> think I actually think that's fairly realistic for a kid. Now, this may be because I've just Some spent kids. time with a much yeah. younger kid. So my nephew is nearly four, and he is absolutely scared of lots of things, and absolutely very out and loud about a lot of things. Now, maybe that's a younger child thing than Kevin's age. Yeah. But that felt very, very true to me when I watched this film again, because he's, you know, he's scared of all sorts of things, but is not afraid to tell me that I'm gross and disgusting for liking coffee, for example. You know, there, there's a kind That's of... That's true. Hey, hey, coffee is great. You Come see, on, Chris is scared of coffee and he's not afraid of setting uh, it out loud, you know?
1: No, absolutely. I fear <laughs> coffee. It is my nemesis. Although I love tiramisu.
0: honestly... <laughs>
2: Wow, you are an absolute enigma. I can take take multitudes, I really do. Yeah, you are a riddle of a riddle. Honestly, the other thing we need to talk about is the music. The music paves over so many cracks. (laughs) Like even the upbeat moment when he's running out of the church and that whole church bit is like my favourite. Like I absolutely love it. Having a conversation with an elder grown-up who's taking you seriously. Mm. I love that stuff. And him reuniting with his family at the very end. That's almost more of the movie I look forward to seeing than the slip-sliding, cracking skulls, iron-on-face stuff. That
0: that speaks Um, well of you.
2: Well done. Well, thank you so much. (laughs) Love that stuff. But then the music even has this upbeat version as he runs back home. And honestly, it's just jaw-droppingly brilliant. We are so lucky that John Williams deigned to do it because of the Spielberg connection.
0: Well, this is it because Chris Columbus basically I think fell over backwards when he heard that Williams was up for it and and it's Williams doing a little bit of an elfman I always think there's there's elements of Danny elfmaniness um you know it, there's something elfmanish but it's it's great and the Carol of the bells is off the charts
1: it's interesting because I wonder at that point was Elfman well established enough for, for Williams to be past station him. but it's, it's... <laughs> I'm
0: not sure I'm not saying it's a deliberate maybe okay. it's a, a commonality no, I of, agree of theme or something.
1: Listening to it last night because I, I haven't seen this film very much. So I revisited the film last night and hearing William's score again was like, oh, this is he's in he's in full-on prequels mode. This is, you know, wall-to-wall. The music, the music leads you emotionally. It tells you where to go. It tells you this bit's funny. Yeah. tells you this bit's yeah. a bit saccharine. So he, he's very much hand-holding. And I, I, I like, yeah, you know, obviously it's John Williams. It, you know, he's, he's amazing. He can do it all wrong. But it felt very, you know those bits in The Phantom Menace where yeah. Anakin's titting around on, on the ship, and there's you know, or in the in the junkyard, what was junkyard? It felt very much like that. That it was it was almost entirely incidental music that he was just wallpaper in the movie with. It worked. It worked, I and mean, it was it was totally fine. But uh, yeah, it's um, not. I I would say his finest hour, but it it's fine. It's good.
0: I mean, John Williams' uh, not finest I, I, hour is still pretty good. I, I think there's nothing.
2: I don't know, it's I, everything, the fact that you're even saying that, and oh, I don't know, I'm I, having an allergic I, I, reaction Here's the could not love this. With, with, it, it, it's so tied up with my Christmas, it's so tied up with being happy. Stop saying nasty things about I my heart. This is the thing,
1: I came, in, I came into this podcast with, with an intention of scorched earth, uh, of absolute, I've never seen Home Alone 2 because I dislike Home Alone I disliked what? it intensely. Interesting. When I when I was a kid what? I saw this movie. I know I am I'm getting I'll get there I'll, I'll get there Ali because I don't want to so I, I'm I can dying. see how much this movie means to you and I, I in the spirit of Christmas generosity I am a changed <laughs> man and I am not I've been visited by the ghost of Ali Plum past, the ghost of Ali Plum present and the ghost of Ali Plum yet to come and I am not going to I'm not going to swear I'm not going to defecate From a great height uh, on this movie that is so beloved to you. But um, what I am going to say is that I have a very complicated relationship with Home Alone. When I interviewed Rob Delaney on the podcast, along with Andy Kemper, a couple weeks ago, on the Empire podcast a couple weeks ago, we got to talking about, you know, because we're all relatively speaking the same age. Uh, me and Rob Delaney and Ellie Kemper were all relatively speaking in the same age bracket But and I was talking about you know did this film hit for you you know is this is a beloved classic for you the first film that is not Home Sweet Home Alone is the first film a beloved classic for you? Were you in that sort of Goldilocks zone that Ali clear, so clearly was? And he was like, yes, absolutely. Anyone who doesn't like Home Alone should be hospitalized. <laughs> I was like, Headshot. I am going Boom. to stay Bullseye. quiet about my feelings about the first Home Alone at this point. And I just nodded and went, yes, Rob, that is absolutely correct. I should be hospitalized. But now listening to Ali and how impassioned he is about this movie, i'm inclined to agree with rob delaney i should be hospitalized <laughs> ideally with a can of paint thrown at my noggin uh, because I, I feel bad about this but i will say this saw the film when i was a kid i was maybe just a little too old for the kevin wish fulfillment stuff to really connect with me maybe maybe i certainly didn't connect with it the way i did with the other john hughes christmas comedy that came out round about the same time national Lampoon's christmas vacation which i I think it's one of the greatest Christmas movies ever made, mm-hmm. or *Planes, Trains, Automobiles*. You know all the great stuff that he that he wrote. So I didn't revisit this movie for a long time, and I never watched *Home Alone* too. And I tried to revisit this film a couple of years ago, and I couldn't finish it. I had to turn it off. And so last night I rewatched it again, and I, I can see. Ali, don't worry. I'm there's a good there's a happy ending here. There's He's a getting happy there. He's ending. getting there. There's a happy ending here. I didn't hate it. There you wow. go. Happy ending. There's my gift to you.
0: Just just effusive effusive <laughs> praise there. Ali clapping for this this transformed man.
1: Look at him. Look at him. He's a, he's a glow with Christmas pleasure. <laughs> Hello, I'm Sam Pay, and I'm Martin Zolt-Sorstwick. and we are the two hosts of a podcast called Song, Song by, by Song. Song, where we listen every week to a track by the musical artist Tom Waits. Uh, you might know him for his gravelly voice, <clears throat> uh, very nice, his appearance in films, but also his multi-decade spanning career uh, involving blues, jazz, and all sorts of other kinds of experimental music.
2: So we're basically like a book club for Tom Waits. And if that sounds like your cup of tea, you can find us at songbysongpodcast.com or wherever you get podcasts.
0: I, I am on record as saying that I think, and I, I genuinely am not entirely, you know, exaggerating here. I do think that Home Alone is a more dangerous movie for kids to watch than, say, Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs says that. pain hurts. That if you are shot, you will lie there and, in agony and then die. Home Alone says you can do horrific things to a human being and it will basically be fine. It is a very, very irresponsible, dangerous movie. That said, <laughs> I think it's kind of adorable. <laughs> so... Yeah,
2: I, I, think, I think you've had an hour's worth of learning and growing and doing the shopping and, you know, your parents <laughs> freaking out. I think as a kid, I also fully... It, it was a lesson to me as, oh, my parents do really care. Like They're absolutely run ragged with the nonsense of looking after us and the travel and the alarm clocks, that sort of side of living, which was just not something that occurs to you when you're six or seven. And I I now also really like the adult stuff. I adore the polka, polka, polka bits, like all of that. It's just beautiful Candyland. Love it. Absolutely love it.
0: We haven't talked enough about Catherine O'Hara, and not just because of her name. but We like- haven't talked oh,
2: at all about Catherine O'Hara. I know. She has a real job here. She has a real job. She has to be sympathetically the person who has let this happen, and also the angel mother who's like, I'm staying at the airport and I am getting home. When she is trying to convince the older couple, here are my earrings, do you think this is a Rolex? My heart just bursts. I I love it i i just think it's so beautiful and wonderful and how have they how has it this been scripted in a way that i'm not going
0: you idiot yeah
2: (laughs) i'm going yep totally get it
0: i think i think it's i think that the key there is that they make her feel worse than you could possibly feel about her i love that
1: that they're her husband who's as we've discussed up to his neck in crime (laughs) couldn't care less uh quite frankly but yeah she's she's great she is fantastic and there's there's you can almost see a little bit of you can see how after her husband is indicted for his crimes she changed her name to Moira Rose and then goes off and, and marries Eugene Levy and that that's how that that all happens but uh yeah she's she's got an incredibly tough task in this movie i think she has one of the great we got a question on the podcast in the empire podcast a couple of weeks ago which we haven't done yet i don't think which is about those great moments in cinema where you can see someone working something out in real time, whether they're deducing who a murderer is or something bad is happening. Kevin has a good one, actually. Macaulay Culkin has a good moment in this movie where he's realised his parents have gone off and left him and, you know, he looks straight at the camera and everything's happy. But her moment on the plane where she's trying to figure out what is that thing that I haven't done? And then, of course, you know, the Kevin to camera is one of the great you know, Recast. realization moments, guys in, in, in cinema history. But that moment as well, where she's going, what is it? What is it? Because that's incredibly difficult to do on camera, you know, to, to show the process of thinking is incredibly difficult to do for, for actors. And so she nails that. Absolutely.
2: She's, she's the heart of the movie for me. On that realization moment, Chris, I'm really glad you brought that up. Mm. What I love about Catherine O'Hara and I love about the scripting of that is that she isn't realizing it by going and checking the heads of the kids who are all dotted across the, uh, the back of the plane she doesn't do it by going through a checklist and working it out it is a piece of her soul that motherliness which is i know something's off and everyone's saying no 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 it's yeah. nothing i really like that it's not done like i'm checking all the heads easy writing oh You're not Kevin. Where's Kevin? That never happens. It's in her brain. It's in her heart and it comes to her. And that's why the Kevin lands so well. If it had been a mechanical realization, it would have just not worked in any way. She has a motherly son connection. I think it goes back to the conversation on the stairs where he's being a brat. And I think again, as a kid, this teaches you in a way that I've not seen many other TV shows, uh, at least in the nineties, early noughties, try to deliver where you can say, I don't like you. You annoy me. In fact, I hate you some of the time, and I will tell you so. But actually, at the same time, I do love you. And that conversation mm. with with the mother, you're being sent up to the luxury penthouse attic. I don't know. I think there's a nice there's a nice John Hughes subtleness there that really works wonders for me.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think I, so. In her mind, she must be running through everything from the moment they left the house. She was going, okay, so, okay, so now we're in the car, we're in the car, now at the airport. Something's not right. There's something missing at this point. We're checking in. We're running to the gate. Who's not there? Kevin, fuck. Sorry, Kevin, humbug. Because I'm, I'm not swearing. I'm not swearing on this podcast. So,
0: so strong. Which
2: yeah. they struggled not to do, by the way. I think there's one S word, uh, but otherwise it's raja fraja. And our our wet bandits <laughs> really, really struggle to do the Looney Tunes uh swearing. Like and it's hysterical now. I think it's absolutely fantastic how you can be catapulted down a flight of icy stairs and go grrr.
1: They sell it by the way, Stern they, and Pesh. They really they sell do. it so yeah. well.
2: And they, they make that stuff work. They even sell wearing smart shoes when you go and steal stuff from a house. When you do burglary, treat yourself to a pair of boots. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I know. You're not the right size. Whatever. Just wear boots. Don't wear smart shoes. (laughs) In the snow, you mug. (laughs) Anyway.
0: You would think that as Chicago natives, presumably, they would know this, but apparently Apparently not. not. I do want to talk about Home Alone 2 for just a tiny bit. i uh, uh, no, No I'm spoilers, in. Chris. No spoilers. First of all, very important public service announcement. If you skip from 26 minutes 40 to 26 minutes 50, you can absolutely skip Donald Trump. I think that's really important. Is that um, all he's in the movie
1: for? 10 seconds? Oh yeah,
0: he just walks past and directs Kevin to the lobby of the Plaza Hotel. But what's hilarious to me, I do want to talk about this for a minute, that was his condition for people using the Plaza was that he had to be in the movie. But like, the Plaza is, I don't think it's controversial to say, a very, fancy, posh, nice hotel, right? I would like them to give me a free room. That would be lovely. But this film portrays all their staff as incompetent, nosy, venal, corrupt, and and possibly dangerous individuals. And he had no problem with that as long as he was in the movie. What a moron, honestly. I mean,
1: foreshadowing much?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, but uh, it, it does just about manage to to do all that engineering that Ali talked about of explaining how this could happen, what went wrong to get him in New York on his own, why they take a while to also get there. They do some of the engineering again. I think with every sequel to this franchise, I think it becomes more and more difficult to come up with any plausible explanation for any of that I think
2: what's also impressive with the engineering which is obviously a really good word for this is that they manage to not make you realize perhaps maybe on the second or third viewing when you get there Chris you will see it more clearly (laughs) but it is the same structure (laughs) as the original film in a way that's not quite carbon copy but actually directly very similar you have the scary bird lady as I always called her she is old man Marley and at first appearances you think she's x you get to know her a bit and then she comes and helps you at the end. Like the actual structure of film is dangerously close. And I'm thinking someone says, maybe not gun to your head, but like paint can on a string of Damocles over your face, says you need to make a sequel to Home Alone. That is a really good job. Like, because it's it's undoable. It's it's on paper impossible. So the fact that it works even slightly, is fantastic, Home Alone 2. Though I think Home Alone 1 will always be my favorite.
0: But Home Alone 2 is, yeah, you're right. It's it's as good a sequel as you're going to get to that. Yeah. Home Sweet Home Alone, perhaps, not so much for me. I I just think it lost the kid aspect. And I think, you know, yeah. there there is a scene where you have Max, uh, Archie Yates is Max, basically putting, you know, throwing himself headfirst into a pile of Skittles a la Scarface. And I get that that's a joke for the adults. But that's about as close as we get to kind of any kid's fantasy for this movie there's that and there's setting up his uh i I don't know hot wheels essentially all the length of the stairs that's Mm. that's as much as you really get for the for the sort of
1: yeah it's unrealistic wish fulfillment he he couldn't do it in the time he has
0: that's i know right it it doesn't make not what she's saying
2: no i agree it (laughs) doesn't it doesn't deliver the the goods you know that kind of like end of skyfall you know where we're laying out all the turrets in Walk the Baddies, it doesn't have the wish fulfillment along the way. Um, mm-hmm. I think Archie Yates is adorableness, cuteness, personified. And the fact that he doesn't come across as being as sweet as Jojo Rabbit, Archie Yates, is a real shame. I think there's also a mm-hmm. slight sense of cheapness, uh, the slight sense of, of uh, maybe more than slight TV moviness to Home Sweet Home Alone, which is a shame. Maybe we see this more in terms as In of the stunts
0: and so on? Yeah, or? the
2: stunts, and the, it doesn't feel as slick or as polished. Sometimes the camera just feels a bit there. I'm not saying, you know, the... I always love the bauble shot in the first Home Alone. Mm. Little things like that. There's like just little touches of flair, and you're not getting much of that with, with Home Alone 6, as I keep calling it. As you should. It is
1: the sixth Home Alone movie.
2: I, what I'd also say about this movie is, and I said this in other shows, I'm not going to be upset if Bring It On 9 isn't very good. (laughs) And I'm not going to be upset with Home Alone 6 not being perfect. I'm just not upset about it. You know, there are other films to love and enjoy. It doesn't actually take away from the first two movies. I am just over the moon that they didn't go, meet Kevin McAllister. They didn't do that. This is a whole new kid doing his whole new thing.
0: That's true. What do you think Kevin McAllister would be doing nowadays?
1: He's in the Trump administration with Ferris Bueller. There's, there's no question about it.
2: I think he's working with his brother at Royco, and he's doing his best to facilitate the merger that his aging, I uh, insert joke here, succession. Um, there's
1: the, there's a shot of uh, Kieran Culkin in the first Home Alone as Fuller, where he, has he, as he's drunk, as he's just drunk the Pepsi, where he looks up, and the angle of that shot is identical. To the angle of that very, very famous now memeable image from the penultimate episode of Succession, season three, where he's just done something very naughty and been caught and <laughs> been caught um, doing it by his dad. And so I wonder, I wonder if if perhaps Fuller has grown up to uh, become a high flying executive as well.
2: I yeah. quite like the idea, I must say.
0: So mm. you're basically saying it's not so much mob lawyer as corrupt media exec that his dad goes on to be. Becomes no, a billionaire no, I and think, sets them all up in the world. No, way. I think what
1: happens is Peter McAllister, soon after the offence of Home Alone 2, lost in Donald Trump, gets massively arrested, which I believe is a legal term. Wow, uh, yeah. Goes to prison for the rest of his life. Big prison. Uh, big prison. <laughs> yes, Whoa, Big steady. pokey. Whoa. He ain't getting out of that mm-hmm. uh, for a long time for his massive crimes. And th- what happens then is the rest of his family, the McAllisters, except for Buzz, Obviously, because Buzz shows up in Home Alone six, that's how I was going as to start a calling it. Right? As, as a, a well, security, as a renter cop. Yeah, renter, yeah. rent security, security guard. Yeah. So the rest of the family have to change their names. So Fuller becomes Roman Roy, and um, Catherine O'Hara becomes Moira Rose, and that's that's what happens. So basically, this movie is like the lodestone. It is the <laughs> it is it is the patient hero for every bit of uh, pop culture that came afterwards. Wow,
0: of the Home alone universe I have to agree with you. I would say
2: this, uh, first, you have to agree with me. this first film also, I think, inspired John Krasinski to give us the nail moment in A Quiet Place. Oh. And, and this movie set me up to squeal in the cinema when I first saw A Quiet Place. I mean, I was going, where's the tar? You've missed a trick there. Uh, but oof. Oof,
0: yeah. And yeah. that is why you were now a ghost, because you screamed in the cinema and then the aliens got you go. and uh, spoilers for A Quiet Place and... Uh, you're now the ghost of Ali past, present, and future. <laughs> Quite right.
2: Quite right. I get to do three times as much freelance work. It's fantastic. I'm very grateful for the situation. Um, it's also just this, I mean, can we, I don't know, I've got so many more notes about this darn film. It's ridiculous. The way he goes, hello. We haven't even talked about angels with etc. etc. the fake movie. This kid is ingenious. He is, if he's going to be anything as an adult, it is a security advisor. He is going to be the guy that actually goes, no, no, no. This is how you set up the lighting. This is how you do the machine gun turrets.
0: His manipulation of the fast forward and rewind button is extraordinary. His dexterity is off the charts. Peak
2: 90s. Peak 90s—the ability to go. I, I have to call
1: into question the gullibility of the pizza delivery guy and indeed Marv or Marvin, as Helen knows him, because it's like, guys, this is clearly a film being played through a TV set at high volume. Why do you think that there's someone really in this house? But again, I I, I can see Ali. These people you know, are
2: thick. Not... He keeps driving into the same iron statue. <laughs> like the the boy, the boy is thick. I like that. I'm saying yep. the word thick again, it's true. And those two are idiots. They keep leaving the tap on. Like, it's, they're just morons. They are cartoonish morons. Yes, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense, but at least they do set them up as idiots. And I do like the joke, which you don't get as a child, but you do as an adult. Little Nero's Pizza, no fiddling around. <laughs> I mean, that's that's some classic, classic italics humour. Ah, that Superb. is good. Yeah, and they're classic. delivering
1: pizza whilst um, Kevin McAllister's house burns.
2: Nice. We also actually see nice. the pizza company come back in Home Alone 6. You, they have it from Little Nearers as well. And they are watching the sci-fi remake of the movie you see in the first film on the telly. So yeah. as much as we are being quite disparaging to Home Alone 6, they do do some pretty neat nods along the way, which I do enjoy.
0: Yeah, they're, they're, they get some points for that, I think. And, and you know, I I, I have many questions about the economics of both. And it's not just mob lawyers, because quite frankly, if if... Peter McAllister is a mob lawyer. Then so is Max's mum, Carol. I've forgotten their surname, but Carol is yeah. definitely also a mob lawyer. She is a single mother with a child and she lives in that house. Come on.
1: The indication is that she's just married into that family, hasn't she? That, that they've recently just moved from England in Home Alone 6. I don't think she's
0: married. I don't think so.
2: She's married to Andy Daly, isn't she?
0: Has she? I thought yeah. that was her brother.
2: No, that's, feel-
1: her, that's, her, that's her husband.
2: I feel like the structure oh of this sixth Home Alone movie is falling apart. Like,
1: yeah. The more we scrutinise it, it just
2: (laughs) crumbles. I'm worried it might not be good.
1: Yeah. It is good, though, that it's actually in in canon, I guess, because of the presence Mm. of Buzz, who even mentions his brother, Kevin. Uh, And for a second, I was going, are they going to get McConley Culkin to show up at the end of this movie? And the answer, obviously, is no. Uh, I did wonder, though, watching last night, the original Home Alone, Home Alone 1, that the old man Marley... Marley, yep. another Ch- Christmas carol reference, but right. and believe that it is a supernatural uh, event that happens and that Kevin is being tested and does come through it as a better person. So Oban Marley gets reunited with his granddaughter, who's the girl we see in the choir, who yeah. is red headed. Why doesn't she grow up to be Ellie Kemper is
2: what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, I, I honestly thought that was going to be a factor when I first watched Home Sweet Home Alone. But Wait. it isn't. Totally
2: isn't. Aren't we knocking on the door of Halloween Kills? There are just a few too many. (laughs) I never thought I'd bring that up in this conversation where you go, oh, I'm the person that delivered the stamp that went on the envelope that you put in the post box. Yes, okay, well done. (laughs) <laughs> of course, of course. Well, you remember the older lady who didn't know whether the toothbrush was approved by. Well, she's now actually in charge of the government. No, just stop it.
1: But that would be lovely. That would be lovely. Like she could have what gone is? to Rob Delaney's. Like this happened. This happened to my next door neighbor when I was a kid, and he he was left home alone. And you can have all sorts of uh, opportunity there for meta fun.
0: I would say Rob Delaney would make a great Frankenstein's monster, and I enjoyed that joke. Generally. Uncle Frankenstein's monster. <laughs>
2: I want to also add that, um, you know, the 2012 joke is at the end of Home Sweet Home Alone, you do get a shadowy turnaround in a swing seat. Original Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin saying, you know, we're putting together a team because if we could have all the other Home Aloners in mm-hmm. some sort of like Avengers setup. <laughs> now that I'm, I'm behind that. They, they have to come that, in. So I want an, an entrapment sort of situation where they go around the world capturing burglars
0: a sort of macgyver situation where they become the world's foremost anti-burglar team correct
2: and they do it by luring by them improvising
0: in. traps correct yeah. i okay. mean
2: it's the least efficient method possible but um it's a movie
0: wow we could we could end burglary in our lifetime uh what a what a fantastic problem. well
2: yes <laughs> at the end of skyfall there was going to be a bit yeah i know that she's died but any chance you want to join our club no all right fine <laughs> Yep, it's gonna be great. Up for that
0: I feel like on that note, we should probably wrap this up. So Home Alone, Chris, I thought you were going to be a consistent hater. You've come down a little bit more mixed. I
1: can't, Helen. I can't. I've got to bury my feelings about this movie. Look, it made me laugh quite a bit. Towards the end, Joe Pesci having his headset on light—that's gonna make anyone laugh in any good movie. Whether stuff. it's my cousin Finney or Goodfellas or Lethal Weapon Three, if you set Joe Pesci's head alight, I'm laughing. That's just the rules. I thought John Candy's gag—John Candy just turns up and he classes a yeah. joint up. Obviously, he brings with the memories of planes, trains. But there's that wonderful moment where he's talking to Catherine Hara about the traumatic things that his son was saw when they left him in a funeral parlor. The funeral parlor, I mean, good. <laughs> Uh, his, his, it was like, and he was right as rain, you know, you know, uh, six, seven weeks, that's he started funny. speaking again. And it was just, that's a really funny gag. Uh, so I laughed. I laughed more than I thought I was going to do. I wanted to drop a wardrobe on the main characters less than I thought I would do. And, you know, John Williams knocks out the park. And I look at Ali's little face. I can't, I can't, I can't do it, Helen. I can't. This is a Christmasy podcast. Yeah filled with Christmas cheer. So therefore, I'm going to say that Home Alone is now the 848th greatest movie ever made.
0: That's, I mean, that's so big of you. Thank you, Chris, for that Christmassy spirit.
1: Released in a certain period between October and December.
0: Thanks, Chris. Ali?
2: Ho, ho, Home Alone. I I really (laughs) do still love this movie. And I also rewatched it knowing that, you know, you're a big Scrooge, Chris. And We've talked about this before, Helen, when I've been on this lovely podcast about how you can't actually critically appraise any Christmas movie that means a lot to anyone because the kind of barrier of emotions, of memories, of nostalgia prevents any actual decent dissection. This movie is in some ways worse than I remember every time I watch it. And then in some fashions, it's actually better. It's not a perfect movie, but I think the idea at its core is fantastic. I think the childlike wonder that it puts you into is also really good. It's inventive. It's Mm. novel. It's old fashioned. It's new fashioned. It's got some fantastic performances and it just about gets away with it in a really fun and emotional way. I still love it. I always will. And yeah, whatever happened yeah. to John Williams,
0: <laughs> you know what? I think he's. I think he's really. He's got, he's, he's got a future ahead of him. He could, for example, usefully. I don't know. Advise Spielberg next time he makes a musical. <laughs> that would be cool. What, be a cool.
2: Idea. <laughs> idea. what a good yeah. idea! Can I just say, great?
1: Ali? Ali saying there, ho ho, Home Alone has uh, has lit the old creative fire. He's got the old creative juices flowing. So I'm going to pitch this to you guys. I think this could be our get rich quick scheme that we could get okay. out of podcasting forever. What about this? Ho Ho, Home Alone. A Home Alone movie. Yes. Okay. Right. You with me so far? But set at Christmas. What do you think about that?
2: Wow. Okay. I
1: mean, throw it uh, out there. I,
0: I thought, I thought, I genuinely thought you were going to have an idea there. I thought it was going to be like somebody um, defending their home against Santa. I did I thought that idea. was where you were going.
1: I just said the idea. The okay. idea was great. You realise okay.
0: that they all take place at Christmas, though, Chris. That's,
2: so, that's something mm? you're aware of. So what? You're saying it's, it's a young elf defending the North Pole against the Easter Bunny, the Krampus, the Krampus. That's what it is. The Krampus, nailed it. <laughs> I mean, it's, wow. it's good. And Columbo solves it, played by oh my God. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo, but as Mark the Ruffalo. Ruffalo, ho ho ho. That's it. Nailed it. Yes.
1: Oh my good. goodness. Have we, just, have we just turned this into a thing? Uh, okay. I will say, in my defence, I have only seen two Home Alone movies. Uh, I thought it was a coincidence that they were both at a Christmas. I didn't realise it was a thing.
0: Okay, well, I mean, it, it's no bad ideas here, Chris, apart from yours. No bad ideas. We clearly have a lot of workshopping to do. We're, we're clearly going to have to, you know, put our thinking caps on and really nail this down so we can all become Hollywood millionaires by writing Ho Ho Home Alone for next year. Until then, thank you so much, Ali Plum. And thank you to Chris Hewitt.
2: My pleasure. You filthy animals. Have a Merry Christmas.
0: (laughs) Merry Christmas. Kevin! Well, that's it for this episode of Bar Humbug. Please join us next time for more Christmas movies madness. In the meantime, I've been your host, Helen O'Hara. This podcast is edited by Ben Williams and produced by Kobe Omanaka for Stripped Media. And if you've enjoyed the pod, please do rate us with five shiny Christmas stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. But whatever you do, happy holidays!